BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So the election is a week from tomorrow, officially. It'll probably take us a few days to count all the votes, but it's possible there will be such overwhelming in-person turnout. It's starting to look that way in a lot of parts of the country that it won't even be in doubt that, that uh, you know, they won't have to wait for all the mail-in ballots to be counted. We'll see. We'll see. Obviously, if Trump is ahead on election night, regardless of, you know, the vote, they're going to try and do the same thing they did in Florida in year 2000. I was talking to Greg Pallast on the phone yesterday. He pointed out to me something that I didn't know. He said that when the Supreme Court stopped the statewide recount in Florida, there were still over 100,000 ballots that hadn't been counted at all. And the thing that I learned from watching 537, this documentary on, um, I believe it's Amazon Prime. I could be wrong, but it's you know one of those services, was that there were over 10,000 votes in Miami-Dade County, which is predominantly Democratic, where the people had tried to push the little pin through the ballot and the chad didn't disconnect because the, the little slot behind it that the chads would fall into was filled up with chads. So they just, it just dimpled the, the, the ballot. But it was clear that that was what they were poking at. And those 10,000 ballots never got counted. The, the counting of those ballots was stopped by the U.S. Supreme Court as well. So, you know, that's where we're at. We don't have an absolute right to vote in the United States. And because we don't have a right to vote, red state governors can radically cut back on the number of polling places or the number of voting machines so that working class people are forced to stand in line for two, three, five, six 10 hours we had people standing in line this, uh, this last week. 10 hours. Because we don't have a right to vote, about 30 million registered voters have been removed from the voting rolls since 2014. So when they show up to vote, they're given provisional ballots that in the red states are almost never counted unless there's a lawsuit. Because we don't have a right to vote back in the 1960s, William Rehnquist organized this thing called Operation Eagle Eye in Arizona, where he would go out to Hispanic communities and Native American communities. He himself was a lawyer, so he'd go out dressed in a suit, a big, tall, six-foot-plus guy, you know, big, big guy. But in many cases, it was, uh, you know, local guys carrying weapons, even local police officers in uniform, challenging the right of black, Hispanic, and Native Americans to vote. It was so successful. That took him all the way to become Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. The Republicans loved him for this. Because we don't have a right to vote, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida has been able to prevent almost a million Florida citizens from voting because they owe fines or fees to the government. Because we don't have a right to vote, Louis DeJoy has been able to kneecap the post office slowing down the mail just in time for the election and he won't be you know he won't he won't face any legal consequences because we don't have a right to vote back in 2000 the election i was mentioning just a minute ago jeb bush organized a program where he took a felon list from his brother you know he jeb was the governor of florida george was the governor of texas george provided jeb with a list of all the felons in texas Jeb, you know, with Katherine Harris, compared that list to the Florida voter list and discovered, oh my God, 90,000 people 
with names similar. Now, the middle names didn't match in, in most cases. There, they were different date, different birthdays. You know, all kinds of things were different. That didn't matter. First and last name is all they were looking at. And even then, if it was James Johnson versus Jimmy Johnson, hey, it's the same person. And they threw 90,000 African-Americans off the voting rolls in the weeks before the election. They were turned away from the polls. 90,000 African-Americans. And thus, George W. Bush so-called won that election by 537 votes. Because we don't have a right to vote, we have seen open voter intimidation just in the last four days in Nevada City, California, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in Miami, in Fort Morgan, Colorado, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in Los Angeles. And it's a virtual certainty nobody's going to go to jail for any of those things. Although there's a black woman in Texas serving five years in prison for having voted while being a felon. Honest to God. And she's not alone. But hey, if you're a white person and you show up with your guns at the ballot at the ballot place to intimidate voters or your trucks honking and all, it, nah, no problem. Because we don't have an absolute right to vote, the Supreme Court told Republican governor, the Republican governor of Ohio specifically, and now all governors, because it's a Supreme Court decision, that he could remove millions of Ohio voters from the rolls because they hadn't voted in the previous election and didn't mail back a postcard. Because we don't have a right to vote, red state legislators have been able to force through laws requiring citizens to jump through extraordinary hoops, like getting IDs they normally wouldn't need to use just to vote. Because we don't have a right to vote, Republicans in multiple states have used the courts to make it very, very difficult to drop off your ballot at a convenient drop box or even to vote by mail. Because we don't have a right to vote, Republicans are rushing through Amy Coney Barrett's appointment to the Supreme Court so that she can pull off a repeat of the 2000 Supreme Court lawsuit, which she, John Roberts, and Brett Kavanaugh all helped write that stopped the vote count and handed the presidency to George W. Bush. You know, here's what's going on. And frankly, I think we saw a piece of this. I saw a piece of this last night on 60 Minutes with Nora O'Donnell's interview of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, where every question she asked was a Fox News or Republican frame. She did not ask any questions in a Democratic frame or even a neutral frame. It was like, how are you going to pay for that? I was just horrified. And she kept asking Kamala Harris, well, you're the most liberal senator. I'm sorry, you ever heard of Bernie Sanders? And then she was like, how do we know you're not a socialist? They're calling you a socialist. Did anybody ask Donald Trump if he's a fascist? Did I miss something? But in any case, the Republicans can't win based on their so-called ideas, things like cutting taxes for billionaires or eliminating protective regulations on polluting corporations. The majority of Americans don't want Medicare privatized. The majority of Americans don't want Social Security shut down or handed over to the big New York banks. The majority of Republicans don't want Obamacare destroyed. A clear majority of Americans, including a clear majority of Catholics and Republicans, don't think police and politicians should insert themselves between a woman and her doctor when it comes to choosing whether or not to have an abortion. The vast majority of Americans think weapons of war should not be carried on American streets. And because the vast majority of Americans disagree with all of these Republican policies, the GOP has had to resort to voter suppression and voter intimidation as their principal strategy over the last 40 years. You know, the first piece of legislation that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats passed out of the House of Representatives at the beginning of this congressional session almost two years ago, the first piece of legislation, H.R. 1, House Resolution Number 1, helped establish an absolute right to vote, and Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate will not even hold a hearing on it. If you care about the survival of democracy in the United States, and frankly, also around the world, as the world looks at us, not so much the last four years, but they do, this may be your last chance to get out there and vote. So go to IWillVote.com and double check your voter registration and make sure that, that you have a plan to vote. So did you see the 60 Minutes thing? I was watching this with my jaw 
you know, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, Leslie Stahl did, a, I think, a reasonably good job of asking Donald Trump the questions that need to be asked. And she wasn't using inflammatory terms like socialist. I mean, she could have. She could have said, you know, there are people who are calling you a fascist. Are you supporting fascism? There are people who call you a racist. Are you supporting racism? Well, I guess she got close to that. So, the, you know, the Stahl interview I thought was good, but, but the uh, Nora O'Donnell, who has always favored Republicans in her coverage over the years, and I think might be ma- married to a Republican operative. I'm not real sure, but it, it really doesn't matter who she's married to. She, you know, she's a, a person and a reporter in her own right. I was just shocked by that. So what are your thoughts on how this election is playing out? Who do you think is going to win? How do you think it's going to play out after the election? And what can we do about that? How do we get an absolute right to vote into law? Are you experiencing voter suppression? Have you experienced voter intimidation? Do you find just the news to be intimidating? I'm hearing from people who are basically just flipped out. I think the whole country is on edge in ways that, frankly, we haven't seen in a long, long time. Jared Kushner went on Fox News this morning. This morning. Jared Kushner on Fox News. And says, uh, he's talking about black people. He says, Donald Trump can't help them be more successful than they want to be successful. This is a guy whose grifter dad and father-in-law gave him everything he has. Has never worked for anything in his life. And he says, he's talking about the uh, protests after George Floyd's assassination by the police. He says, you saw a lot of people who were just virtue signaling. They would go on Instagram and cry or put a slogan on their jersey or write something on a basketball court. And frankly, that was doing more to polarize the country than it was to bring people forward. Right, virtue signaling. That's what those protests were about. People wanting to go out and say, I'm virtuous. You're not. You over there, you Republicans. I mean, essentially, that's Jared Kushner, honest to God, this morning said that people protesting George Floyd's murder were virtue signaling. Just incredible. And then this Republican framing. I mean, it's just breathtaking. Nora O'Donnell says, you're very different in the policies you've supported in the past. You're considered the most liberal United States senator. Really? Considered by whom? Kamala Harris isn't the most liberal United States senator. Where'd that BS come from? Oh, that's right. Nora O'Donnell and CBS. You think CBS wants a real liberal in the White House? No, no big corporation does. We are in the dead heat time. You know, it's the last stretch, the last week and a day. It's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? Shelby in Tallahassee, Florida. Hey, Shelby, what's on your mind today? Thank you so very much for the forum that you bring to enlighten us every day. The framework, of course, and the tenets of this, as you were just sharing, the Powell memo, which you've given us the tenets of many times, and I use and have read that, and I actually have a copy of it right here. I also think that The Hidden History of the Supreme Court, your book, speaks well to this frameworking that the interrelated tenets of understanding this so-called meritocracy and 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 cultural complex and deficit hawk context to our budget and this colorblindness as you were speaking but one of the things that I, I wanted to get into was the Nora Donnell I was so delighted and it prompted me to call because my husband and many of us over the past hours we've received hundreds and even thousands of outreach with regard to how Nora really did frame an attack on our historic candidate for VP. This is a woman of color who is an accomplished woman, and somehow she was projected as a woman who is bringing a different mindset, a different perspective. Well, I'm one of those suburban women, and I uh, uh, live in uh, suburbia uh, with many other women who are multicultural, as her co-candidate Biden stated, President Biden, Vice Biden, that the suburb of the 50s is not of 2020, as you well know, Tom. 
And so this this mindset that there's a horse race that has to be framed for the Democratic candidates, but never framed in the cultural conflicts, as you say, of the neo-Nazi. They literally have arrested people here in the past days. That speaks to uh, this cultural conflict that is never brought forward by the media, but the Democrats have to explain a negative, one that encompasses accomplishment even. And we are very upset with Nora, uh, Nora because uh, we had given her uh, a, a purview, and we're calling for a boycott on that Nora McDonald lady because she, we're calling for that. There's a sister lead, sister vote. Uh, we've got her back group that comprises a very uh, accomplished black women in this country, uh, white women as well, uh, Asian women. Uh, I, I also want to lay down some hope markers because I, I because I am a person of faith, and and I believe in uh, the. Uh, 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 measure of Matthew 25, that we are our brothers and sisters keeper. And we want to also congratulate the, uh, uh, um, the naming of Archbishop Gregory uh, to being a cardinal uh, by Pope Francis. We yeah, are very delighted with that. Uh, we, we, I want to lay down some markers of hope. Uh, where we have uh, a country, and I've been a part of it, getting ready to get on a call. We've, we're running a virtual campaign uh, uh, on the Democratic side, and it has been innovative. It has been creative. It's multi-generational, multicultural, uh, multi-thought process. We were listening to the millionaires, tax the millionaires group last week, who are comprised of Forbes, just was talking about the millionaires uh, group, this morning on, on an article online, where we have conscious thought. The corporate America, if you have seen since the Floyd reckoning, where corporate America uh, put forward commercials that were diverse and contexting of where we know we need to go. That was encouraging. Now, you know, there's still a long way to go here, cause, but, but, but I'm encouraged. Like I said, I, I want to lay some hope markers. Mm -hmm. We have to carry that there's a framing that the media always has for the Democratic Party because we represent the coalition of the will of 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 the of the goodwill and this anti-intellectual anti-culture you know they're calling it what cancer culture i think the young people were telling me on the email about uh, this is the thing that we are trying to cancel cancel the culture what are we trying to cancel the culture for them with oh oh they want to carry a 1930s to 1950s fascist neo culture is that what they're trying to have that's exactly what they're trying to do. Shelby, I, I have to move along to other callers here, but your points are all so well made. And I thank you for making them. I'm so glad to hear that there, there are networks. I think we've all heard stories about them, but not, not at the level of detail that you're talking about, of, of people who are pulling friends and communities and neighbors and, and like-minded people together all over the country. And, and it's fantastic, Tom. This, this virtual campaign, I believe, will also help us to push forward the energy we need to lobby for the changes that we are, in fact, putting forward that the president's candidates are carrying. And I am hopeful. Yeah, me too. And the real work, Shelby, is going to start on January 21st. That's when the real work begins. So, yeah, I'm with you. Shelby, thank you very much. It's great to hear from you. Brian in Anaheim. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Uh, voter suppression, honestly. I think the Go key to it. getting a national right to vote is going to, be, is going to come down to public outrage. Uh, and the Democratic leadership needs to use their bully pulpit to aggressively go after the Republicans' efforts to take away our vote the same way the Republicans go after Democrats for allegedly trying to take away their gun. That's going to yeah. be the key. The GOP is great at tapping into public outrage, and I don't know about other Democrats, but now that I'm familiar with Greg Palace investigative work, on voters, the massive nature of voter suppression. I'm mad as hell and I'm not gonna take it anymore. And I think that's a good thing. I always try to take what you teach us and ask myself, what can I do specifically? You can't email Nancy Pelosi unless you're one of her constituents, but anyone can email Chuck Schumer 
And I'm pretty sure I was, while I was hold, I was just in the process of emailing Kamala Harris because she is my senator. Uh, and I believe anybody can email her as well and try to try to get this message because you've shared in the past that after the theft of the 2000 election by George W. Bush, you and several several others of your constituents went and met with members of Congress about future concerns about fair elections. Yeah, and it was a little later than that. It was said, 2005, but yes. Oh, okay, gotcha. But you said uh, after the 2004 thing with in Ohio, yeah. So they, and they said, oh, we don't want to worry people, but but we do want to worry people. That's the thing. We need to t- everyone. You know, you're a, you're a psychotherapist, and thank you so much for writing um, how to live living ADHD. By the way, there's some great psychotherapy tools in there that I absolutely loved. Oh, thanks. But I, you're you're familiar with that. Every, everything is that motivates people is moving like towards pleasure and away from pain. So I don't know about you, but this this idea that people are going to take away my ro- right to vote, that activates me like that's pain that moves me away from that. So what do you think mm-hmm. about this idea of paralleling this this issue of the, the Democrats are trying to take away your guns, I believe has been very effective in motivating uh, motivating Republicans. Do you think paralleling that effort and saying the Republicans are trying to take away your vote, get angry, get scared? Do you, do you think that's a good tactic? Here's how it works, Brian, and I I wrote about this in Cracking the Code. Goebbels, Hitler's propaganda minister, Goebbels said that the key to controlling the populace is is basically a simple two-step process. Number one, you pick three ways, you do it in groups of threes. And I don't know if you've noticed, but you'll probably start noticing now when you read newspaper articles and things and nonfiction. Typically, when things are presented, they're presented in groups of threes. We remember in groups of threes. It's the most convenient for us. So you pick three things that are terrible about your opponents, and you pick three things that are wonderful about yourself. That's step one. And then step two is you hammer them over and over and over and over and over. And this is why any Republican can tell you small government, limited regulation, low taxes. They've got their three things and they've been doing this for a decade. And they'll say, you know, Democrats, uh, you know, socialism or high taxes or, you know, what they've got their three things. We need to figure out what our three things are. The three ways that we characterize the Republican, and not that I want to take advice from Goebbels, but he was, he was simply stating what was obvious. Identify the three things that the Republicans can be essentially condemned for, and the three things that the I Democrats think taking are, away are, our vote has to be number one, or definitely top yeah, three. I, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, and we saw this in the 2016 election. You know, it was Hillary Clinton's emails and Benghazi, and there was one other thing. I forget what it was now, but you know, that's what they did. Listening to the Tom Hartman program. Exposing the con in conservative. Stick around. How do we protect our vote? Well, Brian Baird is one of my favorite former congressmen. When he was in Congress, he was one of my favorite members of Congress. A good guy. I remember when Brian Baird, when I used to do a local show here in Portland, and he was representing southern Washington state, just north of us. And he came in one day to tell us about how he had just discovered a bunch of Republicans were trading stocks on inside information inside the inside their government offices. It was mind-boggling. Uh, Brian Barrett, good guy. And he is and he was the chair of the science and technology subcommittees on energy and the environment and on the research technology and education subcommittees in the US House of Representatives. He's got a new website. Don't F with my vote. And uh, the website is DF like don't F WMVwithmyvote.org, DFWMV.org. If you can remember, don't F with my, and you know, you can spell out the word. I can't say it on the air. Don't F with my vote.org. Uh, you've got it. And on the line with us right now is the very same former Congressman Brian Baird himself. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tell us about DFWMV.org. Don't, don't F with my vote. <laughs> Tom, it's so good to see you, first of all. Well, you know, here's the thing. When the U.S. Postal Service started talking about, well, we just may not 
deliver votes on time or when they began to take out mailboxes and things like that, I thought, my gosh, if I put my ballot in the mail, it's an act of faith. I have no way of proving that I actually did that, right? So what would happen if you put your ballot in the mail and then you discovered after the election it never got counted? And what if large numbers of ballots from a certain area didn't get counted? There's no current way, except for our web address, dfwmv.org, as you said, to record that you, you win and where you put your ballot in a way that we could get back in touch with you. And the same applies, really, Tom, if you're voting at the polls and you've been waiting in line for three hours. And we know this happens. You wait in line two or three hours, 8 o'clock comes, somebody says, polling is closed, you all have to go home. Well, how do you prove you were there? How do you say, wait a minute, I have a constitutional right to vote. These people are, protect, are, are preventing me from doing that. How does a judge say, well, Mr. Hartman, how do, we, how do we have any proof that you were actually outside the polling booth? With DFWMV.org, you do have proof. Here's what you do. You just enter your name and address so we can reach back to you if we need to contact you. You can geolocate either by typing in your address or by literally using the geolocate function on your mobile device. And then you take a picture of yourself in front of the ballot box or outside the voting booth. It's that simple. It takes less than two minutes. We'll keep the record. We are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated solely to ensuring fair elections. We will never use your data for anything other than that purpose. And we're the only tool of its kind designed to protect particularly your mail-in vote. There are a couple other devices that are useful uh, for in-person voting, but it's that simple. And there's nothing like it. And in this election, where swing states could hinge on just a tiny difference, might make a real difference. Yeah. So, hey, buddy, don't F with my vote. Don't F with my vote. DFWMV. Yeah, .org is the website. Or fiddle or fuss, whatever you like. But <laughs> Right. Hey, uh, Brian, did, 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 uh, I'm sorry I don't recall how, how it all ended up. Uh, you know, when you had discovered that there were a bunch of Republicans who were trading on inside information inside Congress, and you, you went on a crusade to try to end that. Uh, how did, what's the status of that at this moment? Well, we didn't actually have I, the, reason I, the reason I ask, and forgive the digression, yeah, very yeah, brief right. digression here, is I am convinced that several members of Trump's cabinet um, in particular, Wilbur Ross, who's a you know has been called a grifter by Forbes magazine in the last year, um, are trading on inside information right now, and that the, and that the Trump crime family have been making a fortune on inside information. Um, and I'm just wondering what the status of the legality of all that kind of thing is. Yeah, well, the quick summary is: uh, first of all, we didn't really have proof that people were doing it, but common sense said somebody would. Because here was the deal: it was not bright line illegal for members of Congress or their staff or family members to make trades based on confidential information received from their professional duties, their their uh, elected duties. It's, we know it's bright line illegal for corporations, but but the question was: we're not members of a corporation, but we get some pretty darn valuable and unique information. What constrains us from doing that? Well, I checked with the SEC and other attorneys and found that there, there was not a bright line information. And plus, Tom, on top of that, members of Congress, unlike corporate CEOs, we didn't at the time have to report our stock trades, except for a year later. One year later, we'd sort of batch it and report in this, this public disclosure. But that's so late. So I wrote a bill called the Stock Act, and stock stood for Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge. The Stock Act eventually did pass. Only after 60 Minutes did it expose and raise the very kind of questions you just talked about. What the Stock Act did, right. it required members of Congress to report within 45 days if they made uh, trades. And then on top of that, it made it bright line illegal to make a trade yourself, to give other people information no, if you knew it was not public, or your family or staff. And you know what, Tom? This Does this apply to the, to the White House? It does apply to the executive branch as well. Now, you know, the Republicans basically say that, that Trump and, and presumably by extension his family, who he would pardon, uh, uh, are somehow immune to the law itself. But it does apply to the executive branch as well. And it actually, in that case of the Congress, Richard Burr, the former now chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, made trades post-classified briefings on uh, COVID, made trades that were very favorable to his portfolio, and yeah. so did Kelly Loeffler. Yeah, and Loeffler, exactly. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, good stuff. So, so Brian, we, we have about a minute and a half left before we hit a hard break here. Uh, back to don'tfwithmyvote.org, your, your uh, website, um, which, is, which is great. Uh, number one, I'm assuming that this works no matter what state you're in, anywhere in the country, even though you're from Washington State, which has you know, a really good election system. And yep. uh, number two, is this the kind of thing that was built into H.R. 1? I'm not uh, all that you no, know, familiar is, with at a granular level. This has not existed before. It should, and I'm, I presume it will in the next election, but we don't have time to wait for the next election. You know, for example, Tom, there was a, a ballot box set in fire, one in California, one recently in, uh, in, in Massachusetts, I believe. If your ballot is yep. in that box and it's set on fire and it's destroyed, first of all, how does anybody know to get back in touch with you to say, hey, gosh, your ballot was destroyed, you want to pro- file a provisional? But in a swing area, that could make a huge difference, just a you know, couple thousand votes mm-hmm. in a ballot box. But that's happening. We've seen Postal Service workers not deliver ballots, and, and we, you just described sort of nefarious inside jobs that could happen. The key point here is you should want to protect your ballot, and you should want to keep a record of where and when you voted. You know, we're not asking how you voted. That's your business. We would never ask that. But if you take a photo and make a record on dfwmv.org, and it turns out that this election, major blockage of votes happens, you have a record of that. And we have a record we can help follow up on. There you go. Don't F with my vote. dfwmv.org, the website. Brian Baird, former 3rd District Washington State Congressman, U.S. Congressman, with us. Congressman Baird, thanks so much for dropping by. Great talking with you. Thanks, Tom. Great to see you again. Tom Harbin here with you. So people, my sense of things is that people are more on edge now at this particular moment in time than pretty much any other time in my life. And I've lived a long time. I think people are more on edge than they were in the late 1960s and early 1970s when when we were in the streets protesting the Vietnam War and the draft. And, uh, you know, the weather underground was blowing things up. I'm seeing it all over the place. Yesterday, Louise and I went for a drive. It was just like, hey, let's get out of the house. And, uh, you know, since I got this car, this uh, plug-in hybrid Toyota, a couple of years ago, it's, it's fun to drive because the first 30 miles is 100% electric, which is like really great pickup. Anybody who's ever driven an electric car will never go back to gasoline cars. I mean, it's just things are going that way. But, but anyhow, driving around... This guy in this giant red pickup truck is like tailgating me and honking at me because I didn't head off the stoplight fast. Well, actually, I I stopped for a yellow light and he got all upset with me. And then as soon as it turned green, he was on his horn. And and then as we're merging onto the highway, he's like flipping me the bird and honking at me. And I'm like, where does this come from? Louise and I were out in front of our house a couple of days ago. You know, on the curb, there's yellow paint, you know, in spots along the curb that the city put there years ago in the edges of people's driveways and things. And this woman is parking her car. She's got her little kid. We live near a park. She's going to go to the park. And she parks on one of those yellow things, on one of those little, it's only about a foot and a half long, but, you know, her car's there. And the police ticket people for this. And so Louise is walking by her car and she says, you know, basically, if you move forward six inches, you'll be safer. And this woman just goes nuts. She gets out of her car. She starts screaming and chasing us down the street, yelling, you know, you don't know what it's like to have kids. I've got a kid in this car. He's I don't think she heard what Louise was saying. And I think she thought Louise was saying something else. I I just it's the only thing I can. And, you know, we went for this walk. And as we were coming back, she was driving away and she's you know, giving us the finger again. It's like people are on edge. And I think there's a good reason for that. I mean, look at what's going on. Donald Trump, I don't know if it was yesterday afternoon or this morning, but in the last 24 hours, Donald Trump has tweeted that all this coronavirus news is election interference that should be illegal. He wants to make it illegal for the media to report on the coronavirus. Why would that be? Well, it might be news like this. In Utah, Utah, they are preparing to ration care or ration care, however you pronounce that, ration care in their hospitals within the next week. 
They're, they're looking at the numbers of people who are getting diagnosed, and they know that you know a few weeks later, a certain percentage of those people are going to end up in the ICU. And they are saying, and this is uh, from Greg Bell, the president of the Utah Hospital Association. They presented this to uh, Governor Gary Herbert on Thursday. The, the criteria that they're going to use, the doctors are going to use. Patients who are getting worse despite receiving intensive care will be sent home to die. Young people will get priority over old people when it comes to any kind of care. El Paso County Judge Richard Ricardo Samniego on Sunday issued a curfew from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. because the El Paso hospitals have filled to capacity. We're at a crisis stage, said the the judge. In fewer than three weeks, we've spiked a 300% increase in people in the hospital. And meanwhile, Donald Trump says the fake news refuses to talk about the China virus. (laughs) No, no. He says we've made tremendous progress with the China virus, but the fake news refuses to talk about it. COVID, COVID, COVID is being used by them in total coordination. This is a Twitter. This is a tweet. In order to change our great early election numbers should be an election law violation. Meanwhile, looking at this, the New York Times published an editorial this weekend that says the Republican Party can't win using ordinary methods. They can only win by inflating the white vote via gerrymandering, cracked and packed districts, and ruthless black voter suppression. They can only win with heavy dollops of strident and outright bigotry against Mexicans, Muslims, blacks, Hispanics, Chinese, and anyone else who comes along. Even Canadians will do in a pinch. Today, the Republican Party exists for one and only one purpose, to pass tax cuts for the rich and regulatory rollbacks for corporations. They accomplish this using one and only one method, unapologetically racist and bigoted appeals to win the votes of the heartland riffraff they otherwise treat as mere money machines for their endless mail order cons. Like it or not, this is the modern Republican Party. It no longer serves any legitimate purpose. It needs to be crushed and the earth salted behind it. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hey, not too much, Tom. Hey, I wanted to run something by you as far as people being on edge, characterization of people being on edge. I think mm-hmm. I know why that is. I think it is, it's really emotive conditioning or emotional propaganda that is being sent out and received by Americans and being sent out by Beijing and Moscow. And I'm not the only one that is kind of aware of this. Actually, CNN's been doing a pretty good job on 
fleshing out the uh, Steve Bannon and Miles Gao connection mm. with, you know, China putting out a bioweapon. And CNN is like right on the edge of agreeing with me on this. And this is emotional. It has an effect. And you mentioned the guy that signed, you know, he vandalized the Biden-Harris sign. And he put, mm. you know, we know who you are. We're the people with the guns. That almost replicates exactly what Iran did to various uh, voters, that the emails they got mm-hmm. off the voter rolls that they stole. And see, what they're That's doing, right. and this is classic, they're retransmitting, they're retrans, what we call a retrans entity. Right? These Trump voters, they're, they're retransmitting propaganda. What we're seeing is the demise of liberal democracy in America. We're becoming illiberal. And not just and America. By America. I mean, Louise and I, the other day, Dave, were watching, we were watching the news and they were talking, it was, we were watching BBC news because on the weekend on American news, everything is the same story being recited over and over and over again. And so we flipped over to the BBC and there was this story about how Spain just went into a major, not a lockdown, but an overnight curfew and limits on behavior and things like that. And there were a bunch of Spaniards who showed up in the streets to protest this, you know, they're anti-mask and they're anti-lockdown, blah, 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 blah. And BBC just covered it as a straight story. And I turned to Louise and I said, I'll bet you anything that those people were activated via Facebook from a foreign country, from one of these countries that is sending bad stuff into here, Um, you know, whether it's Russia or whether it's Saudi Arabia or whether it's Iran or whether it's uh, China or whatever it may be. I'll bet you that that was not a local indigenous Spaniard protest. Now, I could be wrong. I'm just speculating. But it seems like that's what's happening here, and I think it's happening all around the world, Dave. I mean, you, you know, you worked in the intelligence community for a couple of decades. Is, is that your sense as well? Well, let me give you a couple examples that concern me. Number one, General Milley, you know, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, remember when Trump did the Bible thing? General Milley clearly said, look, I am not a a combatant commander. I advise the president. That worries me because, let me give you another example, General Neary, who is a combatant commander. He was the general that was relieved of command. He's in charge of Europe, and the Marine Corps general is in charge of Europe, and AFRICOM, okay, the AFRICOM command. And he said to some of his Marines, he used the N-word. He was talking about rap music being played over the speakers. And he he said, why does this rap music constantly laced with the N-word, but nobody else can say it? Now, he was relieved because that was uh, racism conversation, right? You have said on your program numerous times, we need to have an honest conversation about race. Now, General Neary may have simply been trying to do that, but it is incommensurate with his rank. Do you understand? This guy is a general officer and a combatant commander. Long story short, I think the Russians in Beijing have been micro-targeting important leaders. Hmm. And these people have... Yes. In in other words, he said something that no commander should say. Commander is not a talk show host. It's not his job to provoke conversations about controversial topics. But this guy did it, and you think he did it because he was micro-targeted by a foreign country. Yes, and you understand why that's important, right? It's incommensurate with his rank. He has thousands of African-American soldiers that are obligated to die on his command. Okay, they are obligated to forfeit their lives. Now, what kind of confidence are you going to have in a leader like that, Tom? And look, another example, Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden's already acting responsibly as the president of the United States. Look, during that debate, he when Donald Trump was saying, Joe, you had 40 years. Why didn't you do anything? Joe Biden could have simply said, Donald, we are not a dictatorship. But the problem with that is. China and Russia have all had such success making us illiberal that that it would be irresponsible. All right, eventually Trump or Biden, whoever wins, are going to have to confront Beijing and Russia. And they're going to say, look, I know you don't like what we've done, but we are a democracy. They're not going to listen. That is going to fall on deaf yeah. ears. They're not going to yeah. care. And, and, so this, and if China yeah. moves against Taiwan, which it looks like they're preparing to do, it could be very problematic. It could, regardless yeah. of who's in the White House. Um, so, you know, we're looking at some real dangerous times. Dave, I got to run, but thanks for the call and thanks for your analysis. We got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. That said, we've got, there are a lot of really good people in this country. And crackpots and the gun nuts and the racists and the fools among us 
are very much the minority. They get a lot of publicity, but they're very much the minority. Let's keep that in mind. Let's talk with uh, somebody who really understands these issues. He was the attorney general for the state of Alabama from 1987 to 1991. He was the secretary of state from 1979 to 1987. He was the lieutenant governor from 1995 to 1999. He was the governor from 1999 to 2003. He's the author of a new book, Stealing Our Democracy, for which I wrote a blurb but I'm very proud of. Uh, former Governor Don Siegelman of Alabama. Uh, StealingOurDemocracy.com and DonSiegelman.org are his websites. You can tweet him at Don Siegelman. Governor Siegelman, welcome back to the program. Tell us the story of how your 2002 election was stolen and what we can take away from that, what we need to learn from that. Quite simply, I won the election that uh, when the votes were counted and sort of, and, well, when the votes were counted that the night of the election, ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, you know, declared that I was the winner. And after the polls were closed and poll workers were sent home uh, in one Republican controlled county, 6,000 of my votes were electronically transferred uh, to my uh, from me to my opponent. And uh, my Republican opponent was declared the winner. He was illegally certified by the Republican attorney general the next morning. And then he stopped our recount uh, and threatened to put anybody in jail who so much as touched any of the ballots. We were foreclosed because the state Supreme Court had been taken over by Republicans at the hands of Karl Rove. And we had just witnessed Bush v. Gore, where the U.S. Supreme Court had handed the presidential election to handed the presidential election to Bush. So all was lost in my case. So I said, you know, we were going to walk away. And not unlike Al Gore in 2000, you know, he too felt like he had was thrown into a catch-22 and there wasn't anything he could do about it. So I, I said I was going to run again. But my point is that, that if a local yokel who was trained by the, the software provider can be can hack an election in Alabama and steal a, an election for governor, think about what can be done on the national level. And elections being conducted in secret, the ballot, the counting is in secret, there's no audit after the election. We don't know what's going on. So I just encourage your listeners, one, to be alert, two, to, to vote. And I think the cure to stealing election is for us to vote in such numbers that they can't possibly steal that many votes. But you know, has anything happened that, in Alabama since since the the 2002 election was stolen from you? Has anything happened in that state that would make that more difficult in the future? No, there's nothing that's been done on a national level. Uh, you know, we 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 watched and. In the uh, 2004 Kerry Bush race, that you know there were anomalies in Ohio and other places that, that that raised alarms about you know what was really going on. And of course, in 2016, we had allegations of uh, what allegations of Russian meddling in our elections, and now we have uh, even even more signs that there are attempts to. Uh, infiltrate uh, our voting systems. And, you know, if, you, if people just think about it, you know, we, we, we work on computers all the time. I, everybody gets hacked. People get their, I, I, you know, their, their contact list stolen from them. They get their identity stolen from them. It's the same process that can be put in place that can steal elections. After my election in 2002, we had uh, the Republican Party gave credit to a couple of people who, for swinging the election to my opponent. One was a guy named Dan Gans, who had been trained by the software provider as an election uh, security expert who was working for my opponent, and then who immediately left the state and went to work for a Tom DeLay, uh, a Jack Abramoff company, the Alexandria Group, which had all sorts of nefarious connections too many dangerous opportunities for misconduct. And 
we're going to see a challenge of in mass of absentee ballots by the Republicans, uh, orchestrated by Karl Rove. He's a master at this. But we've just got to be alert, and we've got to, uh, after the election, I think, you know, what we what we need to do is to have a national ballot and election audit commission established by Congress that can really dive in into and look at look at uh, election anomalies and try to figure out a way to stop it. Yeah. Also, I would think uh, we're talking with Governor Don Siegelman, his new book, Stealing Our Democracy, stealing our democracy dot com. Um, Governor, I would think that the, if we were to pass a, a constitutional amendment or even a, a very, very strong piece of legislation that explicitly said Americans have a right to vote, then those voters whose votes were switched from your column to Bob Riley's column, your, your uh, competitor, your Republican competitor, um, those voters would have a basis to sue the government saying, you violated my right, you stole my vote. Right now, in most states, I think, I'm not sure that they would have that right. Um, that seems to me like a really important thing to do, as well as, you know, this commission and the things that you're talking about, that I, I think a lot of those are in H.R. 1, which was the first piece of legislation passed by the House of Representatives in this last Congress, which Mitch McConnell has refused to even have a hearing about in the United States Senate. Does that make sense to you? Oh yes, I think we've we've got to ensure that every that every vote is that that's cast is counted and counted accurately, um, and there's got to be consequences for those people who are who are you know trying to impact the outcome of elections in inappropriate ways. You know, if you look at this country's history, you know we've had we. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we we've all we it was founded on efforts to predetermine the outcome of elections. You know, we excluded Indians, slaves, sure. and women, and then we you know we we excluded freed slaves, we excluded felons, we instituted literacy tests, poll taxes, restrictions on the time and place to register, uh, limiting the number of hours that people could vote. Then uh, we followed that with Ku Klux Klan lynchings to intimidate voters, voter IDs gerrymandering and you know so we've we've you know we've got a country that is rich in this uh this effort to uh, you know predetermine the outcome of an election and and now we have this you know electronic voting and computers that are counting in secret with no independent audits conducted uh it is it's just scary i'm not saying that that the election is rigged. I'm just saying that we need to be be aware that it can happen. It has happened. Elections have been stolen. They can be stolen, and we need to be alert to that. And I think right. the word to your listeners is vote and vote, you know, to get all your friends to vote. We've got to make sure that everybody that can vote is out there on Election Day. Yeah. Absolutely. Governor, we just have 40 seconds, so we're going to hit a, a hard break here that I can't control. Um, I did not realize that Karl Rove was running or advising the Republican operation or the Trump operation. Is that is that the case right now? Well, that's that's my understanding. Uh, he was called to the White House. He came to the White House. You know, these are two people who in 2016 were calling each other names. You know, one said he was an or one was a moron. The other one said the other one was an idiot. But now that they need each other, they they came together. The scary thing Trump is, Rowe. I Carl Rove is back in control, so we have to keep yeah. a close watch on it. There you go, Governor Don Siegelman, his new book, Stealing Our Democracy. It's brilliant. You need to get a copy. StealingOurDemocracy.com is the website. Governor, thanks so much for dropping by. Great talking with you. Absolutely. You Thank you. To Tom Hartman. Stephen, Bridgeport, Vermont. Hey, Steve, what's up? I'm a postal carrier, and I'm going to tell you today I got a little good news for you. So we had two service talks today. One, that when we get a ballot, we are to separate it so they could go right to town hall the next day without, without going to a processing plant. And then mm-hmm. on Thursday, we are for starting on Thursday, every day until Election Day, we are to go to every mailbox and check for outgoing mail, irregardless if there is a flag up indicating that there's outgoing mail. And then we got an email this, this morning that any ballots we get, they want to turn around the same day. That is great, Steve. It sounds like Louis DeJoy finally figured out that he might be able to go to jail for all this. 
Well, this is actually from our district, so this may mm-hmm. be our district head taking charge. Ah, because, I see. you know, okay. Vermont, in any Vermont case, and uh, Vermont and civics and the Northeast and civics and voting, we are very strong on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that goes back to the long history in, in the in the New England area of uh, town hall meetings. I mean, you know, the, 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 the town meetings. You know, Louise and I lived in Vermont for 10 years. I, I remember the Steve, thank you for the call. Good news. Good news. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? I've always thought that the mid-60s to early 70s, the anti-war movement and everything else, that young people were actually more interested in the clothes and the music, the new clothes and the new music than they actually were in the politics and my sister, who was three years older than me, about a year younger than you, she voted for Reagan in November of 1980, which shocked me Yikes. because she was such a, you know, left wing, way more hippie-ish than I ever was. Uh, I was the more conservative kid. I really think there's going to be a landslide for Biden. And it's going to be, you know, I, a lot of people are actually voting against I think so too, Dennis, but I'm, very, I'm afraid to say it out loud. You know, it's like, <laughs> knock wood. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I really think it's looking more and more like that because Arizona and Georgia and Florida, I mean, we've got states that could go blue that you never would have thought that even a year ago. But now it looks very likely. And really, it's people are just fed up with Trump. Even if they're Republicans, uh, the old-fashioned Republican, they are fed up with Trump. They want him out because they see that he's a disaster. And he was a disaster last night on uh, 60 Minutes, as well as uh, Nora O'Donnell, who, you know, if she should be fired, and then she could get a job at Fox where uh, she could... Yeah, really I mean, her question, her question to uh, Kamala Harris was basically, how bad a socialist are you? <laughs> it's like, really? You know, yeah. no, I'm not still beating my wife. I mean, that, you know, as Richard Nixon famously said back in, in 19, uh, what was it? Maybe that was the 72 election. But in any case, yeah, I, I mean, it's just 60 Minutes was just shocking to me. I knew about the Trump stuff. But when they put well, Nora O'Donnell you know, down with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and all she did was say, respond to this Fox News point. Respond to this Fox News point. Respond to this RNC point. Please, please, you know, and I mean, it was like, oh, my God. Whereas the stuff that Leslie Stahl was asking Donald Trump was pretty straight up stuff. You know, I mean, 200,000 people dead. That's not an allegation that somebody's a socialist. And Leslie Stahl, bless her heart, did not say, you know, there are people in America who say you're a fascist or that you're a Nazi, um, you know, please, uh, you know, or that you're the most fascist president we've ever had, or uh, that, you know, you are the, one of the most corrupt businessmen in New York City, in the history of New York City, um, you know, which is pretty bad. So how do you respond to that? You know, she never said any of those things. Dennis, thank you for the call. Spot on. Amazing. CJ in Titusville, Florida. Hey, CJ, what's on your mind? I think you mentioned before in the Bush-Gore decision, there was a statement made somehow in writing that this is a one-time thing and we'll never do it again or doesn't set a precedent. And I'm thinking if this case goes to the Supreme Court, which likely is there, it does that do they just blow past that, or uh, does that really apply sure. at all? No, they've already. They, the Supreme Court has cited that decision three, I believe, three times, maybe four times now since it was made. And in the decision, they say, "Please don't ever cite this decision." I mean, not l- literally using those words, but using the you know uh, the legal version of those words. Um, and and you know, I'm fully expecting this. Obviously, Donald Trump is fully expecting this. I mean, that's why he wants uh, you know Amy Covid Barrett on the on the Supreme Court so that. So that, uh, you know, she can rule, uh, you know, in, in case John Roberts wimps out and and, you know, we're going to have three justices on the court who are, uh, uh, you know, who worked on that 2000 campaign, who helped write the briefs 
and, and argue the case before the Supreme Court that the that, you know, 10,000 votes in Miami-Dade County should never be counted, that over 100,000 votes statewide should never be counted, that the election should be handed to George W. Bush and stop the recount right now, even though the recount was automatically triggered by Florida state law and then right. and then verified, confirmed by the Florida State Supreme Court. And the 10th Amendment says, you know, states have the right to, to states run their own elections. The Supreme Court had literally no legal right to insert itself into this decision. And they did it in 2000. And, and frankly, uh, I think not only are they fixing to do it again, but, uh, you know, Donald Trump is counting on that. And, and apparently Mitch McConnell is, too. You know, it wouldn't cost Mitch McConnell anything to wait a week to put Amy Coney Barrett on the, on the Supreme Court and to wait until after the election. Probably wouldn't cost him anything, you know, in terms of uh, politics or whatever. But the reason he doesn't want to do that is he wants her on the bench, sworn in, installed before Election Day so that if they can figure out a way to squeak this thing into the Supreme Court, that she can be part of the vote that that hands the election to, to Donald Trump the same way that that, uh, you know, uh, the five, you know, five to four decision in Bush v. War, the five uh, Republican appointees on the court were able to um, put George mm-hmm. W. Bush on on the on the Supreme Court. And John Roberts helped write that brief, which is why George W. Bush took him from being an obscure lawyer to being chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court overnight, you know, that fast because he was the guy who put George W. Bush in office. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 